Hello, Valley family. This is week number three in our series that we're calling uh, Chase the Lion. It's based on the book uh, by Mark Batterson, and uh, we've been just looking at really how to face our fears, uh, realizing that a lot of times it's fear, it's uh, difficulties in our lives that are really roadblocks to our destiny and the plan and purpose that God created uh, each of us for. And so uh, during our time together today, I want to talk about reframing problems. Before I do that, uh, let me ask a question. Have you ever like had a opinion uh, of someone or something, and you're like, this is just the way it has to be, or this is the type of person they are, and then you get a little bit more information, and all of a sudden, it just changes everything? Just just a little added information, and it's like, you just don't even see that situation the same. You don't even see the person the same, or or maybe you don't see yourself the same. Uh, This happened to me recently uh, in in a really kind of bizarre way. uh, in my family for generations or, or growing up and it's been passed down for generations, we've always been told that there was a huge amount of uh, Native American uh, in ancestry that we had, uh, Cherokee Indians to be specific. And uh, finally, this past Easter, my brother Scott, my whole family was together down in Georgia. Of course, I, was, <laughs> I had to work. And uh, so, so this past Easter, they were all together in Georgia celebrating. And, and my brother texts me. He goes, I finally did it. I just, I'm not, I finally did it. What did you do? He said, I, I'm going to take a DNA test. Because I want to find out how much American Indian blood we actually have in the family. You know, is this this just folklore or legend? And and so he did a little cotton swab, and I think it was a couple hundred dollars. He sent it in, and I was like, well, you go ahead and pay for it yourself, you know. Uh, And and so it came back, and literally on Memorial Day, I'm walking out of the house to go celebrate, you know, kind of a picnic, hangout, barbecue on Memorial Day, and my phone just blows up. I mean, just exploding with with text messages and all all on the family, all my family back and forth because the results came back and the results changed everything there were some surprises in the old DNA first of all not one drop of American Indian blood (laughs) not one not a I mean not a drop he specifically like wanted that tested for that not a drop and and then the percentage is 43% uh, our ancestors are from Great Britain. In fact, it was kind of cool. We knew this, that, that our ancestors were here before the American Revolution. It actually helped to settle Georgia and South Carolina and a little bit of the coastal part of Florida there as well. So 43% Great Britain, which is, okay, that wasn't a surprise. But then the surprise hit. 33% Irish. No one ever told me I was Irish. All my life, I've wanted to be Irish. St. Patrick's Day would come, and I was like, Susie, I just wish I was Irish. I was like, 30, that's a big, one-third. One-third, and our ancestors have been here for over 240 years. Over 240 years, and I'm a third Irish. So I I think this is the first day I haven't worn green since. I've been eating corned beef and hash every single day. You you know, and I already told everyone, you just wait till St. Patrick's Day. Boy, we're going to celebrate, you know. So I've been listening to, oh, tiny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. It's just wearing it out on my phone. Uh, And then also found out, this one I thought was pretty cool, 2% Jewish. When did that happen? I don't even know. But, but so I'm also having matzo ball soup later on. Uh, But uh, so, so just all of a sudden, DNA test, and it just changes everything. You know, here I am thinking I'm part Native American and British, and I'm Irish, which is really cool. 
It's amazing how many times we see situations in our lives, and it all depends on the way that we frame the situation. If we're overwhelmed, if we're full of worry and anxiety, or if we see the situation from God's perspective, and it makes all the difference. As we're looking at this idea of chasing the lion, uh, based on a, a, a man in 2 Samuel chapter 23, let me just go back to it and read it once again as we talk about in our time together and look at reframing our problems. 2 Samuel chapter 23, if you have your Valley Christian Church app, go ahead and open it up. We're going to look at a lot of stuff in Scripture today. I think you're going to want to be able to look back on it. Here it is, 2 Samuel chapter 23. It says, There was also Benaiah, that's who we've been talking about, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warder from Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit, and he killed it. On a snowy day. I don't think he woke up that day saying, I'm going to kill a lion today. It was not perfect conditions. I, I think he was out it was snowing, and this lion came across his path. But as we talked about in the last couple of weeks, instead of running from the roar, which is the natural inclination that every one of us would have when we see a man-eating lion face-to-face, -face, he ran to the lion. He chased the lion. He chased the lion down in a pit, slid down in a pit, knowing only one of us is going to get out of here alive. Only one of us. He had a different perspective on his situation. The way that he framed the situation that he saw this lion in front of him was very different. And as a result, he was able to overcome that lion and kill that lion in a pit on a snowy day. It goes on in 2 Samuel there and says, once armed with only his club, he killed an, an imposing Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Some translation says that uh, in this one, Benaiah only had a shepherd's staff. That was his club. And it says, Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. How embarrassing would that be for you if, that, if you're the Egyptian? Wouldn't you be embarrassed? No, you wouldn't. You'd be dead because he took your spear and he killed you with it. So anyway, uh, he, he just all these acts of valor are absolutely incredible. It goes on and says, Deeds like these made Benaiah as famous as the three mightiest warriors. Just talking about David at the end of his life, he had a, a, a group of men that were incredible warriors, and of those, there were three that were like the ninja warriors of all of them. And Benaiah was like, he didn't make the cut into three, but he was like number four guy in the whole entire kingdom. Imagine what the other three guys did. And, and there in 2 Samuel 23, it lists all these mighty men of David and, and the exploits that they did. Benaiah came across a lion in less than favorable terrain and climate, but he saw something different that day than I think most of us would see. He saw an opportunity where most of us would have seen a problem. And I think through this series, God just wants to give us a fresh perspective to learn how to truly reframe our problems. Let me just define that, that title, even, reframing our problems. The word reframe in the English language is a verb. It means to recondition a mental attitude or outlook. To reframe. To recondition a mental attitude or outlook. Every one of us has a mental attitude or an outlook. And right now, your mental attitude or outlook on life is determining where you're going to end up in life. For the good 
or for the bad. God wants us to reframe our problems. What is a problem? A problem is a noun. It's a source of perplexity, distress, or vexation. Isn't that interesting? Even the English word, the definition, means distress or vexation. Vexation, that we're totally just mesmerized, like we can't think of, we just churn, we grind on the problem. God says, I want to give you a different perspective. I I want to teach you how to reframe your problems. That's the only way that Benaiah could be victorious that day. For us to put our faith firmly in God, we must learn how to reframe our problems. Because here's the facts. Life throws everything at us from time to time, and we're going to feel overwhelmed by the responsibilities, the expectations, the crises are going to come, problems we're going to face. We can try to avoid them. We'll never be able to avoid them. We've all heard stories, haven't we, about men and women who go through just incredible difficult times, just just challenging times. But, but it seems like as they go through it, they come to this really kind of odd conclusion. You know what? God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. What kind of people are these? What, what kind of people are these that, that go through battling with cancer, death of a spouse, losing everything that they have, and they still say, God is good. God has been so good to me. It's a very different perspective. I think it's a perspective that God wants every one of us to have, and indeed every one of us can have it, but we must learn how to reframe our problems. It's all about outlook and attitude in the midst of pain and in the midst of suffering. See, let me put it this way. This is, a, this is an easy cop-out, I think, that we hear a lot, particularly in our culture and all. But the ra- reality is this. Who you are is not determined by your circumstances. That does not determine our circumstances. In fact, I was reading a little article today about the mindset of the most wealthy, top 1% wealthiest people on the planet today. The things that they do that the poor don't do. Really kind of amazing. It's all about a mindset. It's not about the circumstance because there are incredibly wealthy people that were born into dire, awful circumstances. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. One of the biggest mindset differences is this. I'm stuck here or I'm going to do what I need to to get out of here. Huge difference in those mindsets. Perspective. Who you are is not determined by your circumstances. Here's the key for our time together. The outcome of your life will be determined by your outlook on life. The outcome of your life will be determined by your outlook on life. If we view life through, from God's perspective, our outcome is going to be very, very different. If, if, if we believe, as the Bible says, that we were created for a purpose, a unique purpose, every single one of us, your outlook is going to be very different on life than if you think that you evolved from some sort of prehistoric sludge. You're going to have a very different perspective on life. Instead of there is a creator who designed you uniquely and fashioned you for a purpose on this planet. The outcome of your life will be determined by your outlook on life. And when we look at our problems through the frame of 
an almighty God and his word, we begin to realize that he is so much bigger than our fears. He is so much bigger than our weaknesses. He is so much bigger than our problems. And then we begin to see our problems the way that he sees them, and we begin to reframe those problems, just like Benaiah did that day, that snowy day, when he was confronted with a lion. Our outlook then begins to become his outlook, and that makes all the difference. There's really two things I want to uh, share that I believe are just the game changers when it comes to reframing our outlook, reframing our problems. There's two tools primarily that God's given to you and given to me that we can implement these, we can use these every single day of our lives. The first is this, reframing scripture. Allowing the Bible to reframe our situation. Getting the perspective that scripture gives us. Using the, the new frame of scripture. What happens? Scripture reframes our perspective on absolutely everything. It reframes our, uh, reframes our perspective on our identity, who you really are. Just like a DNA test, all of a sudden, one little swab of cotton in the cheek, and all of a sudden, I realize who I am. I didn't know I was Irish. Just, 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 it reframes it. God's word reframes it when he says in Psalm 139 that, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knit you together in your mother's womb. Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation, God is the giver of life, and there are no accidental kids. As I like to say, there are accidental parents, but there are no accidental kids. God is the giver of life. And so when we read the scripture like Psalm 139, it reframes our identity of who we are. Also reframes our destination, where we're going. As we talked about last week, for those that have received Christ, that put their life in the hands of Jesus Christ and trust him for, for, for their salvation, this world is as bad as it's ever going to get. The best is yet to come. And, and so the scripture reframes our destination. In fact, we're working on right now, two weeks from now, we're going to be starting a series called Seven, about the seven churches in the book of Revelation. We're going to be in that series for seven weeks. And the book of Revelation, it, it, it tells us, and we're not going through the whole book. We don't have time, the summer series. But, but, but it, it, it tells us what the end is going to look like. We don't have to worry about humanity destroying this world. God says that's not how it's going to end. We, we don't have to worry about nuclear bombs, you know, the apocalypse, the zombies and all that stuff. That's not how it's going to end. The Bible reframes for us our destination, our understanding. It also reframes your circumstances, what you're going through right now. The first sermon that I ever preached in this church, first sermon I ever preached, period, <laughs> was when I was a sophomore in college, between my freshman and sophomore year, actually. My father was the founding pastor of the church. He said, Greg, you know, I'd like to take a day off. Why don't you preach? The first sermon I ever preached was was called, Don't Look Up, Look Down. Because the Bible says, as a Christian, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So instead of looking up and saying, God, help me, it was just exactly what I'm talking about right now. We need to look down from God's throne, his perspective on the situation. Because it changes our circumstances. 
I, I know you've been there too. I've been there so many times when it feels like the walls are just closing in and, and just so much going on. It's kind of, it almost gets like a little hard to breathe. And you know what I found just even geographically makes a big difference? So many times like, okay, I've got a trip coming up. There's just something about getting on a plane and getting up high. And all of a sudden you just see those little tiny dots down there. It just gives you a very different perspective at 30,000 feet. What about the perspective of the throne of God looking down on that situation? Don't look up, look down. Reframe your problems. It reframes our circumstances. The scripture also reframes your legacy. Your legacy. What is it that you're going to leave behind? Because the fact about matter is, one out of every one person dies. No one's ever beat those odds. Every single one. And so the question is, what are you going to leave behind? God wants you to leave a legacy behind for those that come behind you. God wants me to leave a legacy behind for those that come behind. You and I today, we're enjoying as a Valley family the legacy of those that went before us. I could just name you name after name after name, my mother even being one, of people that sacrificed so that we could have like this place to gather to worship. So many that are with Jesus Christ right now that have left a legacy that you and I are enjoying the blessings of and the benefits of today. And so the scripture helps us to reframe those things. Because see, in this life we're going to have difficulties. We're going to have really chal real challenges. We're going to be times when things are going to happen that are totally heartbreaking and really upsetting. We need to have God's perspective and allow the scripture to reframe, reformat, give us a different perspective on that situation. I've heard it said this way before, no adversity equals no opportunities. No adversity equals no opportunities. If, if there's not some challenge, some difficulty to be overcome, there's really no opportunities to move ahead, to move forward. And I want to share with you now, as we're talking about using the scripture to reframe uh, our, our problems, our situations, our challenges, I want to share with you just a few passages that do just that, that help us to see, like, we shouldn't be surprised when the difficulties come. But what we should do is see God's perspective in those challenges, in those difficulties, even in the adversity. I think I may have told this story recently, but I, I think it fits in real well here. I, I remember my mother telling a story. Uh, one day, she would always, uh, mom and dad, every day I went to school, they'd bless us with the blessing we end every service with from the Bible. And, uh, and my mom tells a story. She was, we lived over here in Hopewell Junction off of Lake Walton Road. She was watching us walk up the street, uh, going to the bus stop, she was just standing there at the big picture window of the raised ranch, and, and she was just praying for us. And she said, Lord, I just pray that you, you just pour out your grace upon my children, that they'll be overcomers, that they'll be leaders, they'll be victorious in everything that they ever face, every challenge. And then she said, and God, I just pray that you keep them safe, and you keep them from all evil and harm. And she felt like God spoke to her and said, you can't have it both ways. She's like, what? You can't have it both ways. Do you, want to be, do you want them to be victorious? Do you want them to be overcomers? Do you want them to be leaders? Or do you want them to be safe and sound and weak? And 
she said, Lord, I want them to be overcomers. Can't have it both ways. When, when, did, it, when did the goal ever become just arriving at death safely? Just dying safe, just everything safe. I know so many parents, that they, if it wouldn't embarrass their kids, they'd wrap them in bubble wrap every day when they go out the door. It's just like safety, just obsessed with safety all the time. Instead of, I want my child to overcome adversity. I, I want my child to be victorious in the face of difficult times, to be able to stand when the storm comes. It's a different perspective. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. That'll reframe that situation, won't it? Jesus says rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. God sees and he's going to reward you. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says, let me reframe that situation for a minute. That that they're making fun of you. They think you're one of those Jesus freaks. You're the brunt of their jokes. You're one of those religious fanatics, Christians. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Reframe that problem and realize God is watching and he's going to reward you in heaven. In the New Testament, in the epistle of James, look at what James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4 says. Consider it pure joy, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? Consider it joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Do you understand what the scripture says there? Allow the scripture to reframe our problems. If we're never tested, if we never face hardship and difficulty, we will forever be immature Christians. There's no other way around it. Persevere. We've got to go through some stuff. We've got to persevere. Let it finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, and and not lacking anything. And then there's this one in Philippians, in the New Testament. This is kind of crazy. I want to spend a little time and uh, kind of unpack this one a little bit because it's just like nuts. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you, and I'll come back to that word, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. Wait a minute, uh, I didn't see that when I signed up. It's been granted, this is kind of crazy, this word granted is a Greek word, haritsamo, haritsamai, rather, haritsamai, I've been practicing all day, haritsamai. And what that Greek word literally means is to grant a favor, watch this now, or kindness. God has shown you and me kindness on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but kindness that he also gives us the privilege to suffer for Jesus. Doesn't look real kind, does it? Doesn't seem kind. I mean, I don't groove on pain or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. 
But God knows that going through difficulties and testing and persevering, just as we talked about last week, it allows us to strengthen our faith, that muscle of our faith. And it's the pressure and it's the tension and it's the difficulty in those times that we really grow. But we've got to have God's perspective on it. Because if we don't, we'll run from those. We'll run from the lion every time. Instead of running to the lion, running to the roar, like Benaiah did. Do we see our sufferings as a privilege, as a gift from God? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I know based on this, we should. We should. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers uh, of 19th century, actually, uh, he put it this way, no, 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 I'm sorry, nobody has ever outgrown Scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. That's why it's so important. We never, like, grow past spiritually the need for the Bible. We need to continue to reframe life here on this planet through the pages of Scripture great tool that every one of us has that I dare say we don't come close to valuing as much as we should value God's word here's the second tool that God's given to us reframing worship that it's through worship that we can reframe the problems that we face and the difficulties that we face the ultimate key to reframing our problems really is an act of worship in the face of suffering, in the midst of trials, the key to turning our pain over to the Lord is found in pure worship. You see, God is in the business of strategically positioning us in the right place at the right time. But here's the trick of it. Most of the time, being in the right place at the right time often feels like we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we're like, what is going on? And God's like, you're right where I want you to be because you don't share my perspective, you're missing what it is that I'm trying to do. I'm working out something much, much bigger. I think the best example of this is probably found in Acts chapter 16. Let me give you a little bit of background before we look there. Paul and Silas, this is uh, Acts chapter 15, is a Jerusalem council uh, that takes place, and uh, that's where the apostles and all the church leaders got together, and they realized that this Christianity thing, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. It's not just a, a sect of Judaism, but we're really supposed to go to all the Gentiles, all those that are non-Jewish, and share what Jesus Christ has done, that he is the Son of God, and he died a sacrificial death uh, on the cross for all humanity, those that would receive him, and he rose again three days later. And so they decided that in Acts chapter 15, it's recorded. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are going around to towns and they're beginning to share the gospel. One of these towns that they come to, there's a girl, and the Bible says in Acts chapter 16 that she was demonized. She had demons. And the demons allowed her to tell the fortune. She was a fortune teller. And she, she was a slave girl, and so her owners used to use her to profit off of her demonized, vexed ability to tell the, tell the future. And she was following uh, Paul and Silas around as they were preaching, and, and she's just shouting out all this stuff and kind of mocking them. And finally, Paul just like, he had it. And he turned to that girl, that demonized slave girl who was shouting to the crowds, and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. Boom. And the demon left her. And she couldn't tell fortunes anymore. And her owners were really upset because there goes the money. And they were so upset 
that they stirred up the crowd and they grabbed Paul and Silas and they beat them up, beat them bloody, and then threw them into prison. Dark Roman prison. Now put yourself in Paul's sandals for just a minute. What's your next move? What's your next step? You talk about a bad day at the office. I've been beaten up, bloodied. Now I'm in prison in chains, literally shackled. The Bible says in the inner part of the jail, not even on the outskirts because they didn't want anyone to come and rescue them. What would you do? Let's look at what it, Paul and Silas did. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were... What? Around midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Come on, man. Would you be singing in prison after getting the stuffing beat out of you because of doing something really good like sharing your faith with Jesus Christ? The gospel? Now you're in prison and they're praying and singing. By the way, just, just let me touch on prayer for a minute because then I want to really go deeper on, on the, the worship part. You know what the point of prayer is? The point of prayer is not for God to do what we want him to do. The whole point of prayer is to get God's perspective on the situation to change our mindset, our perspective on what we're facing. It's not God, some big Santa Claus in the sky, you know, or some genie in a bottle, you know, rub it, you know, come on, God, come through for me, do what I want you to. They were praying, and they're worshiping God. And look at what happens. It goes on and it says, suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Now, think about that for just a minute. Not just Paul and Silas's. Obviously, this was God who was like, all right, I'm going first. I'm going to shake and bake right there. First you shake it, then you bake it. All the, all the chains fall off of all the prisoners, not just his two guys. Not just Paul and Silas, all the prisoners. They fell off. So important, this whole idea. Because I think the reality of this, well, let me just talk about myself. My default setting when something bad or miserable or unfortunate or difficult comes in my life is not to start worshiping God. That's what He wants. That's what this message is all about refocusing our problems, reframing our problems. That's what Paul knew. That's what Silas knew. It seemed like they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, but God said, no, I'm going to put you in the right place at the right time, and that's jail. God was about to do something absolutely incredible. See, worship is refocusing on the big picture. That's what worship is all about. Worship when, when, when we worship God for who he really is. And I'm not just talking about singing. I'm talking about everything in our life. It's so important when we do come and we sing and we worship. But, but uh, Romans chapter 12 says that we're to offer our body as a living sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. This is our reasonable act of worship. Our whole life is supposed to be oriented around God. 
everything, worshiping, that he's at the center of it all. I got to tell you, sometimes for me, because I've got to get up and preach, I have to kind of like take a little step back out of worship. It happened to me just a minute ago. Because if I just like go all in, like I will never recover. You'll never hear a sermon. But because it just, it, worship's supposed to be transcendent. It's a time when we, we, we begin to adore God for who he truly is. And it gives us a very different perspective on who we are. And all of a sudden, problems that seem so big become very, very small. And me, who I think is so big, I also become very, very small. When recognizing how incredibly huge he really is. Worship is all about refocusing on the big picture. Second important thing about worship is this. Worship is forgetting about what's wrong with you and remembering what's right with God. That's the essence of worship. Forgetting about what happened at the office. Forgetting about what is due tomorrow. Forget about, oh, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? It's remembering what's right with God. And he is worthy and deserves our worship. When we begin to think about that he's all-powerful, that he's all-knowing, that he's omnipresent, that, that he loves you and me so much we'll never be able to fathom it, that, that his love is unconditional, that his love is generous, that he loved you and he loved me so much that he gave everything for you. He gave his best. He gave his son, Jesus Christ. And, and uh, you know, that song that we sing, there wasn't a day when you weren't by my side, that you weren't there. There wasn't a day. It's been a lot of days I've ignored him. You have too. There's been a lot of days you probably didn't want anything to do with him, and he was right by your side. That changes our perspective. Worship is forgetting about what's wrong with you and remembering what's right with God. Despite their incredibly difficult circumstances, Paul and Silas reacted with worship and actually ended up witnessing to those around them. Worship always reframes our circumstances, reframes our problems. See, I've come to this conclusion in life. There are basically two types of people in this world, complainers and worshipers. No one else. That's it. So I ask you, what type of person are you? Are you a complainer? Oh, no, not again. Oh, I can't believe it. Why me? Or are you God? I don't understand what's going on. But God, I'm going to focus on you. I know you're with me, and you're going to see me through this no matter what. There's only two kinds of people. Complainers or worshipers. Complainers, their problems overwhelm them. Worshipers, God overwhelms their problems. See, the circumstances you complain about become the change that imprison you. The circumstances that we complain about, they're what chain us down. They're what don't allow us to see what God wants to do in that moment. And what God wanted to do in that moment in Paul and Silas' life was absolutely mind-blowing. 
They did not allow their chains to keep, to dictate their perspective to them. Instead, they allowed their worship to set them free of their chains. Let, let me give you the rest of the story and then we'll jump back in. The jailer, a, a Roman jailer, if he ever lost any prisoners, he had to, it was, it was mandatory, his life was taken from him. Like no one was allowed to escape. If they escape, you're done. And so the jailer, he comes and he knows it's all dark and, and he hears all the chains, they're all free and he's like, that's it, they've all escaped. The door actually opened to the jail and he takes out his sword and he's about to take his own life and Paul and Silas say, wait, we're still here. All the prisoners say, we're still here. None of us have made a run for it. And the jailer's like, I heard you guys singing. He's trying to just make sense of this. What in the world? Look at what happens. In verse 25, I'm sorry, uh, in verse 29. Then he brought them in, uh, in Acts 16, there it is. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's like, something's different about you guys. I, I locked you down. I put you in chains and you're praying and you're singing. There's this earthquake. Your chains fall off. The jail door opens up and you stay right where you are. And you didn't make a run for it. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, that's Peter and, Saul, and uh, Silas, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Watch what happens. It goes on. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all that lived in his household. They go home with the jailer. They share the gospel with him and his entire family is saved because they were singing and praying and reframing their problems. Do you think God still does stuff like that? I do. I, I think there are difficulties that you and I are going to face in this life, and we're like, we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. This is horrible. Why me? And God's saying, I put you there. You're there for a reason. Are you going to focus on me? Are you going to allow Scripture to reframe that problem? Are you going to worship me for who I am, not just because things are going good and things are going bad? I'm not going to worship you. Are you going to worship me no matter what and watch what I do? When you think you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, God says, no, you're in the right place. Watch what I do instead. Absolutely amazing. God works in the midst of this bad, difficult situation. And this jailer and his entire family put their faith in Jesus Christ. So let me say it again. The outcome of your life will be determined by your outlook on life. Are you, are you going to allow the difficulties, the tests and the trials that every one of us is going to face are you going to allow them to dictate to who you really are and how you're supposed to respond? Are we going to be like Benaiah <laughs> on a snowy day? A lion comes our way, and we see that as an opportunity instead of an obstacle. We allow the Scripture to reframe our problem 
And we say, God, I'm going to worship you even in the midst of this jail that I feel like I'm in. Because God is more than able to have those chains fall off in just a moment. Just like that. So what about you? Are you going to chase the line? Are there circumstances that you're currently, are there circumstances in your life that you're currently in prison to? Attitudes, perspectives, what are they? What things have you complained about this past week, maybe even earlier today, that you just knew there's no way God could possibly be involved with, and he probably is right in the middle of it, working out a much bigger plan than you realize, even in this moment. How can you turn those situations into opportunities to worship God for who he is regardless of what the situation is no matter what the circumstance is God you're still worthy give me your perspective I'm going to ask right now would you bow your heads with me let's pray Heavenly Father Lord first of all we thank you for your word We thank you for the scripture, the Bible, that does help to reframe our problems. Lord, there's so much that great men and women of great, incredible faith went through, endured, persevered, and you did such incredible things through their lives. Lord, may we be counted in that number. Lord, we just ask for you to, by your grace, help us to remember to reframe our situations and circumstances through the scripture. Father, also we ask, forgive us, Lord, for not worshiping you the way that you deserve. You're so worthy regardless of what we feel in the moment, no matter what challenge we face. Father, thank you that so many times when we thought we were in the wrong place at the wrong time, you're actually working out a bigger plan, even as you were for this, this jailer that we just read about and his entire family. You care so much about them. Father, help us to see from heaven's perspective, not to look up, but to look down on our problems and our challenges. There, find the grace and the strength to endure and to persevere, knowing that you're with us and you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. Give us the courage, Lord, to chase the lion, no matter what the obstacle might be, to overcome by your power, your grace, the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to speak for a moment, this moment of reflection to to anyone and everyone here perhaps has never placed their life in the hands of Jesus Christ before. It's God who can turn messes into a beautiful message. It's the power of God. It's it's those nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ that can touch those hurts and those heartaches and even turn those things around for good in our lives the first step is really putting our faith in those hands those nail scarred hands that Jesus died for you he died for me that he he paid the price through his own life 
laying it down on the cross. That's what I deserve because of my sin. That's what you deserve as well. But Jesus took it. He paid it in full and he rose again from the dead three days later. In fact, the Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Just like that that jailer was when he asked, what must I do to be saved? And he and his whole family found total and complete forgiveness from God that day as they received Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for them. So if you've never taken that step of faith, the next moment I just want to lead you in a prayer, a simple prayer that you can just repeat after me. And as you just open your heart to Jesus Christ as your Savior for the first time, God hears that prayer. Because the fact is you'll never be good enough to earn God's forgiveness. I'll never be good enough to earn God's forgiveness. It's a free gift that Jesus Christ purchased. Forgiveness for you and for me through his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his resurrection from the dead. If you've never placed your life in Jesus' hands, I'm just gonna ask you now, repeat this prayer after me with your heart open to him in this moment. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I invite him into my life and I turn from my own way and my own sin. And I ask you, God, to lead me, to guide me, to direct me. Thank you that you love me so much that you gave your son to die in my place, to rise from the dead, that I would be forgiven. Lead me from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you. 